0: You're listening to all the best. I'm Helena Baroni Peters. I grew up in a household where swearing wasn't allowed, and I played by the rules. That was until I received my very first CD player, and my first CD So Fresh Hits of Winter. Sitting in my room with the door closed, I remember listening to that CD from start to finish. I started off bleeping out the words, then I'd whisper them to myself. Eventually, I was screaming those words at the top of my lungs. Breaking the rules was pretty cathartic. In today's stories, we're delving into the dark side of things and how sometimes through the darkness, we find a sense of freedom. In this first story, Mark explores misconceptions about Satanism. And it turns out it might not be as dark as you think.
1: Hey, so Satanism is a religion, right? I mean, why not? Like...
0: We accept, like, all kinds of, like, other religions. Why wouldn't Satanism be one?
2: (laughs) Yes. If people can believe that God is real, then I think that, logically, then it must be the case that um, if people think Satanism is real, then it's a religion as well. When you think about it, so with Christianity you worship Jesus and God, and the opposite of that is the devil, i.e. Satan, so if it is accepted that you can worship a higher being like Jesus, then why can you not worship the devil, if that's what floats your boat?
1: So is Satanism actually a religion? I was having chats with some of my friends about this, because I feel like it's been in the media a bit lately, and I had a lot of questions about what all this actually was. It was the Noosa Temple of Satan, specifically. And yes, there's a Temple of Satan in Noosa, of all places. Kind of wild. But they were holding a black mass late 2020, and lobbying for a local hospital to recognise Satanism as a religion. And all of this kind of led me to wonder, well, is it a religion? Thousands of people across Australia would consider themselves Satanists according to the 2016 census. But whether or not Satanism is a quote-unquote real religion remains a point of contention.
0: I think some people think
2: it is. I don't know why it shouldn't be a religion. That's all I know. It is too
0: extreme to be a religion.
1: Whether it's a religion or a cult, I am not informed enough to decide, but I feel like it's big enough to be a religion. It can be a bit of a testy question. It really comes down to what makes a religion a religion. Does it have to be worshipping a higher power or a benevolent higher power? Can you get political as a religion? And how do you tread that line between religion and cult? Joseph Laycock, Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Texas State
3: University, believes Satanism is indeed a religion. So, so I really think that the, the Satanic Temple is a religion the definition of religion that i that i like to use is called the four c's so so if we're not defining religion in terms of believing in the supernatural how else could it be defined Mm -hmm. the so-called four c's model uh says you need four things to be a religion you need a community you need uh, a cultus, which is rituals uh, rituals that, that your community does you need a creed so you need to believe in something even if it's not supernatural and then a code which would be a, a rules or of, of, of behavior.
4: Oh, yeah, it's definitely a religion. Uh, the definition in Australia for religion is that you have to have a belief in a supernatural being and that you have to have some tenets that you, some principles that you believe in. And so clearly you just have to ask any Christian and they'll confirm Satan is real. So that's the first box ticked. And... Of course we have our 7 or 10 tenets as well, so as far as uh, legality goes, we are definitely a religion.
1: That was Robin Bristow, the co-founder of the Noosa Temple of Satan, known within the faith as Brother Samael Demogorgon. And yeah, they're the ones who've been up to no good recently. In terms of answering that question, I think he was pretty head on with it, right? We just have two criteria for being a religion in Australia. And he's pretty adamant the Noosa Temple meets them. They have a deity, check, and some tenets, check.
2: Well, I have never heard of a group of people that worship the devil.
1: The thing is, he's kind of right. Many Satanists don't literally worship the devil.
4: Some people are theistic Satanists. They believe in a supernatural deity and... Others are non-theistic, where they see Satanism—sorry, Satan as a symbol or a metaphor. Contemporary Satanism is probably more the latter, with a, a non-theistic uh, view on life. Which means, to meet that first
1: criteria for a religion, of believing in a deity, Satanists kind of rely on Christians believing in Satan to meet it. At least that's what it felt like based on Robin's answer. But just like any religion, Satanism is hardly a monoculture of people who all believe exactly the same things and share exactly the same convictions about how to outwardly express their faith. Some Satanists do believe in Satan as a literal deity.
3: At at the Satanic Temple's headquarters in Salem, when they set up their their new physical headquarters, they wanted to make friends with their neighbours, and so they invited the town of Salem to an ice cream social. With mm-hmm. the Satanists. and there were other Satanists who said, "What are you talking about? We can't be having ice cream socials. That isn't scary. We need to be, you know, listening to heavy metal music at midnight and doing drugs and and, and being scary. This is not real Satanism. So so those kinds of uh, uh, debates are still going on right now in the what we could call the Satanic community. I've even spoken with Satanists who say, uh, the satanic temple is turning my God into a joke because I truly believe that I worship a fallen angel. Um, right. That's kind of the rarest people who are uh, literally praying to Satan in that sense, uh, but that exists as, as well. It's really important to understand that the satanic temple does not worship Satan as the enemy of God and the enemy of all mankind just how christianity uh understands uh uh, satan it's um just as in you know kind of some people i don't know look up to superheroes or something and think well you know this is uh, you know this is what batman would do in this situation so i should do this too it it doesn't mean they think there's a literal uh batman out there so that's sort of their their relationship with with the worship of satan Well, if Satanists don't
4: believe in Satan, then what what do you call people who believe in Satan? And the answer is Christians. Uh, They are perhaps the the greatest believers of Satan. Um, Some Christians even live their life every day with Satan's influence. So you can see how powerful Satan is in their lives. So most Satanists don't literally worship Satan, and they kind of do
1: piggyback off Christians believing in that supernatural deity for them. Some of my friends thought this raised questions about Satanism's integrity as its own religion.
2: Sometimes it feels more like um, a reaction to Christianity than a real religion, you know?
1: This dynamic between Satanism and Christianity is really interesting to me. In my mind, Satanism isn't like a lot of other religions, right? In that religions organise themselves around really distinct beliefs. But Satanists organise very explicitly in opposition to an existing religion. It borrows a lot from Christianity. So in that sense, is it really its own religion? That's a rhetorical question by the way, I do not have an answer necessarily. But I just think that the dynamic between Satanism and Christianity plays out in really interesting ways. For example
4: here in Noosa, uh, the Christians were handing out water in Hastings streets, claiming they were a hydration station, but uh, they actually were there to proselytize and uh, evangelize. And um, what what the Satanists in Noosa did was ask if they could have a permit as well. And the Noosa Council immediately withdrew permits for anyone. So the effect was that the Christians were no longer allowed to be on the streets of proselytizing, so we achieved our aims there.
1: This seems to be what satanic activism, as they call it, looks like. Where Christians can do something without being questioned for it, Satanists will try to get in there and do the same thing. And the result is, everyone will question who really gets to practice their religion freely. Another example from the Sunshine Coast University Hospital.
4: I was actually having some treatment done at the hospital and I I walked into the Multi faith room. And I noticed that the Christians had hijacked this room. They had completely covered it in all their crosses and uh, Christmas decorations. And, and I asked the cha- chaplain there what was going on. She said, I oh, know, uh, it's just for Advent. And when it's finished, I'll take it all down. This is Christian privilege. This is how it works. Uh, Christians look at Australia as their playground and they completely shock when people challenge them. So, yeah. Uh, I asked the hospital, is, is this correct, that the Christians can have all their crosses everywhere over the multi-faith center? Where, where can I put my satanic symbol? The next day I went in there and all the stuff had been removed. And in a way, that is how satanic activism works. We try and remove uh, uh, religion from secular life. I think we gave the Christians in that hospital uh, pause to to think about things and to try and understand their their privilege. As
1: Robin put it before, Satan has a pretty strong influence on mainstream society. People have pretty strong reactions to the whole concept, and it's not even just Christians. My friends who are saying Satanism is cult-like or too extreme to be a religion aren't even Christian. You might think that these attitudes would make the aims and operations of Satanism harder to achieve. But in
3: fact, these reactions are exactly what make it impactful. Well, I, th- I think that the Satanic Temple is keenly aware that uh, Satan and Satanism are completely intolerable right? to large sections of society. So in, in the United States, for example, they went to a public school where a court had ruled that uh, Bibles could be distributed. And they began distributing a Satanic colouring book for children. Uh, and there was nothing objectionable about the coloring book. It had puzzles, it had word jumbles, and the words were things like compassion and tolerance, but it just had the word Satan on the, on, on the cover. And, and they knew, and they, they, they predicted correctly that the school would change its mind and decide, well, there can't be any religious literature of any kind here. So they're very much counting on the facts that people hate Satanists and and, and want to keep Satanists out of the public square as possible. In a sense, Satanists
1: don't just borrow the figure of Satan from Christianity. They borrow the Christian image and fear of Satan as the Antichrist to carry out their work. Is that the best idea, though?
3: I think that they're playing a very high-risk game, because I always think that there is a chance that they will end up simply reinforcing Um, these these ideas about anyone who is against us is uh, the enemy of God and the the enemy of all mankind. I have a Google News alert for the word satanic, and they tended to get the most mentions by people on the far left end of the media and on the far right end of the media and and less in, in the middle. The left was interested in them basically because they found their activities amusing or kind of saw them as the good guys, and they had headlines like, God bless those trolls. Mm-hmm. But on the right, uh, groups like LifeSite News, which is a, a Catholic pro-life group, uh, uh, loved the, the Satanic Temple as well, because it played so easily into their narrative of anyone who disagrees with us politically is is, is of the devil. And, and many of the statements made by the right about the Satanic Temple are not accurate. For example, The Satanic Temple does not consider abortion to be a sacrifice to Satan, but it is very easy to uh, uh, take their activities and kind of put your own narrative on them, right? Because one thing the Satanic Temple does is they have this kind of spectacle in their events where everyone has black clothing and makeup and upside down crosses, and it looks very scary. And I think for uh, some consumers of conservative media, you can put up a photo of that and you can say basically whatever you want about it.
1: I feel like this is where everything gets a bit complicated. We've started talking about Satanism more as a political struggle now than as a religion. And it kind of sounds like what they borrow from Christianity is a bit of a two-way street, you know? Christians get leverage from Satanism just like Satanism gets leverage from Christianity. Does being a political movement preclude you from being a religion, though?
3: Absolutely not. I, I think it's very disingenuous when people say that something can't be a religion because it has political goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the United States, uh, Christianity is, I, I think, the most important political force in, in, in our politics. Most people are actually Satanists without knowing that
4: they are, you know, non-theistic uh, have have the tenants? The tenants are very uh, logical. You know, we're talking about science. We're talking about being helpful to other people, uh, bodily autonomy, rebellion. That's probably our main tenet: is to be a rebel, uh, to be an adversary, and to to take on authority and always challenging, and always questioning, and always being a bit naughty.
1: If there's one thing I learned while making this. It's just how big of a role activism plays in the practices and beliefs of contemporary Satanism. And the Noosa Temple is certainly structuring their future plans around that activism going forward.
4: We've got many uh, things running at the moment. The one is religious instruction in schools. According to Queensland law, priests are allowed into schools for an hour and to give a Sunday Sunday school type of class to kids who have been given permission from their parents the other kids have to go into the library and twiddle their thumbs so we find that very uh unfair on those kids so what we've done is we've we've put in an application to to give religious instruction classes in four schools uh, where, uh what other plans have we got uh, prayer in parliament so they lo- they say the lord's prayer at the beginning of every day and we find this h- highly um uh, insulting to to people. It's not inclusive. it's, um, it's kind of the, the Christians giving the, the, the middle finger to everyone else. Again, it's Christian privilege at work. The, we've taken the uh, I think we've taken the Queensland Parliament to the or we're going to take them to the Human Rights Commission uh, arguing our point. And hopefully the satanic change that will happen is that there's perhaps just a, a minute silence at the beginning of Parliament for people to contemplate their own meaning into that time.
1: One dimension we haven't really touched on is the practice and even the social dimension of religion. If we take that step back, Satanism actually has a lot of those things
3: going for it as well. I think a lot of people don't realise that chapters of the satanic temple uh, meet regularly um, on, on a weekly basis, they, they um, have what a church would call fellowship with each other. You know, they uh, get together and, and have something to eat and something to drink and, and talk. And they also perform rituals together that the public is not uh, invited to. Uh, and so when you see those kinds of things, it starts to look a little bit more like um, uh, a traditional idea of what a religion is, uh, as opposed to just a political stunt if you could
1: leave people having learned one new thing about Satanism as you practice it in NUSA, what would it be?
4: Uh, it's lots of fun. So, generally speaking, religion is all about uh, guilt, anxiety, and um, tragedy in most cases. Uh, Satanism is a lot of fun. There's great fellowship to be had. Uh, you can, you can uh, gather around in a pub and have a, a good drink and a good yarn with your fellow Satanists. And it's lots of fun.
0: That story was produced by Mark Yin. Ivana Ho was the supervising producer. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Brony peters At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. In this next story, David takes control of the horrors of COVID-19.
2: In the depths of West Brunswick, we encounter horrors of the viral kind. Long Centrelink wait times, packed supermarkets and unrelenting self-doubt. David Maney stars in Dawn of the COVID. My friend Murray loves horror films. She seems an unlikely candidate. Her hair is dyed electric banana yellow to complement her wardrobe of whimsical pastels and patterns. Once, on a dark and stormy night, I arrived at her house with wet socks. She lent me a pair of pink socks with an avant-garde blue swirl up the ankle. I looked at the single line drawing, dumbfounded. It. It's a sneezing nose, she said. That night the ASMR rain fell hard on the roof, and stray cats meowed at the back door. Marie said it was a perfect night to watch a scary movie. I asked her why she liked to be terrified in such deliberate and manipulative ways. She told me she moves through the world with varying levels of anxiety. At least a horror movie guarantees everyone is at the same level of anxiety as her. This is how I feel about COVID-19. The first week of the Australian lockdown was, for me, pure exhilaration. The feeling was similar to when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2011. After a slow build of tension, there was a diagnosis and release from blind uncertainty. With COVID-19, the same urgency returned to life, that same desire to live well. I channelled the hand-washing energy to clean my bedroom. I bounced out of the bed to play basketball down at the local court every morning. I was at my writing desk every day. I talked to family and close friends every night. We used video chat because we need to see faces now. Similar to my MS diagnosis, there was only one thing to talk about. COVID-19. There was always the promise to talk about something else. A hopeful, but eventually empty promise. I tolerated the simplified life well. The 5am anxiety alarm enabled me to access the Centrelink website before others. When someone in the supermarket sneezed, my new basketball skills helped me jump to the top shelf. Anxiety was a renewable energy that increased productivity tenfold. I thrived. I was soon careful not to share my exuberance for the collective new normal with people who found themselves in different, more difficult situations. A friend's daughter accused her of causing the pandemic. To her, my optimism must have bordered on unbearable smugness. But I was familiar with the landscape that COVID fog obscured. Professor George Jelinek, of the overcoming MS program I follow, articulated the familiarity I felt. Most people in the general community cannot imagine how they might cope in the face of not knowing from day to day whether they would wake up with some new symptom of serious neurological damage. That uncertainty would not be tolerable for most people. But out of our shared adversity, that is precisely the strength the OMS community has cultivated. I needed to slow down. The flip side of exhilaration is anxiety and despair. On the late night podcast In The Habit with Alice Fraser, neuroscientist Ashran Pura described anxiety as a free-floating sense of dread, unattached and formless. I could sense the monster lurking. I took a day off. I stayed home and did as my meditation practice often told me to do, just notice. I was soon the director of my own horror film. Woke with a frightful gasp. (gasps) Ignored a mid-morning plot to suffocate well-meaning housemate with vacuum cleaner. Lowered the blinds to keep out the paranoid afternoon sun. Watched a bad movie in the dark. As the credits rolled, I felt the adrenaline drain down the back of my throat. Anxiety, till now, dampened by adrenaline, grew into a noxious, debilitating monster in the mind. I felt acidic shame. Why did it require a pandemic for me to get back into writing? Why couldn't I give myself that time? Why wasn't I helping others? And a million other questions that outmatched my imagination and were reduced to how long will this go on for? How long will this go on for? How long will this go on for? The panic lasted an hour. I expected it and was still surprised. I was also ready to take action. Living with the uncertainty of MS prepared me well. I took hold of the things in my control. I opened the blinds and admired the flickering red lights of the city skyline. I walked in the evening air around the lamp-lit park. The monster lurked in the shadows. It was quiet now. I came home and ate sober noodles with broccoli and kale, toasted sesame seeds and garlic-infused olive oil. One meal in a movable feast of uncertainty. All of these things unmake the monster. All of these things we can control. As Dr. Norman Swan said, it's about you and me taking control of the virus, rather than the virus taking control of us.
0: That story was written and performed by David Maney, with production and composition by Ben King. It appeared in the Winter Edition of the Victorian Rider, published by Riders Victoria. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. All the best is made at FBI radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3 R, on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8 C, on Arunda and Warramungu lands. This episode was mixed and compiled by Josh McKay. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay and Emma Pham are our social media producers. Our web producer is Connor Hughes. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for all the best wherever you get your podcasts i'm helena Brany peters thanks for listening